Hey, let's go. Just, just stop. Just stop right where you are, and uh, we'll pray, and then, uh, then we'll chat. By the time we get done chatting, you'll be seated. The prayer, the prayer in the service today, the two-page prayer for all saints, might be the best prayer in the entire liturgy. It is the most beautiful. It's clearly, I don't know who wrote it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see if I can figure it out. I have a guess or two. But the, it's written by someone who, with a great empathy for others, and also somebody who prays a lot. It's a beautiful, beautiful uh, prayer. So it's one of the nicest uh, prayers, of, pr- prayers of the year. So, you know, at least it, it's worth, worth the price of admission just for that. But hear the prayer from uh, last Easter. Almighty God, who by the death of your Son has destroyed death, and by his resurrection restored innocent and everlasting life, that delivered from the power of the devil we may live in your kingdom, grant that we may believe with our whole heart, remain steadfast in this faith, and praise and thank you forever, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Um, Mary, did you punch the record button? I bet you did, because you do everything. Oh, Mary's gone now. She does everything, and she goes other places, too. A couple of things. Um, as I told you, what's the matter? There's Mary. I love you, Mary. Thanks for doing that. Not you going into the, your secret room? <laughs> Don't even know. I haven't been in there for years. I have even no idea what's back there. Okay, well, that's... Um, so I think I said last week we're putting the band back together, of Arthur and... Pedro, so going to Greece, um, the folder is there if you want to go pick one up. People have already turned money in, believe it or not. And uh, so if you want to go uh, next year, we'll have some fun. Uh, let's see. If you're on the call committee, raise your hand if you're on the call committee for the new pastor. I'm counting noses right now. Maybe save myself an email. So Betsy, Nicole, Ted, Stephen, that's four. We probably got a couple who are. 10.15 Saturday morning, 10.15 Saturday morning, 10.15 Saturday. All right, so Betsy can, yeah, so Betsy, all right. I'll send you an email to follow up. I'm a little bit behind. If you see the other people who are on that, 10.15 Saturday. Uh, I'll give you a room when I see you. What else? Anything else we need to talk about or do? Yeah, Betsy didn't tell me what to do. And if people don't tell me what to do, I don't know what to do. So Betsy, where does money go today? Voice of care. So that was, you know, Don Kretschmar's thing, people with uh, challenges and disabilities. It's very worthy and nice thing, so thanks for doing that. Anything else that I've forgotten? There is this, um, you know, come and be the first one to dunk in the new gym. Now, Yonker thinks that he made the first basket in the new gym, but he doesn't know I came down and dunked on both rims on the Wednesday before it opened. So <laughs> Now, of course, both rims were at six feet, so it wasn't like that big a deal. But nevertheless, I think, at least for the Guinness Book of World Records, no, I didn't actually really. So you might be the first guy. Who knows? So 3 o'clock, if you want to bring your kids back and play, that'd be good. You dunked first on Tuesday? What? (laughs) I know you like to lower your voice to make a point. Yes. That's not actually what my children say, but go ahead. Just on 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 a theoretical basis, go ahead. Now or now or in the current? What if I come over there and put my arm around you, give you a kiss on the cheek? Would that would that work? Okay. So I'm just going to tell you, Carol. I'm, you mind if I? I'm going to kind of talk out of school here a little bit. 
So Carol was um, one of the names considered for the call committee. And I said, Carol, would you have an interest maybe in serving on the call committee? Do you care if I tell this story? Because she's upstairs. I said, hey, would you have some interest? She said, um, it's about time. That's what she said. <laughs> And I said, Carol, you sound like a woman who already has in mind who your next pastor should be. She said, I do. Lutheran, 77, and handsome. <laughs> the, ki the kind of pressure that's on me as a senior pastor, I, I don't think you all realize the, you know, what the kind of stress that I'm under on a day-by-day -day basis, right? So, so I, look, everybody in the room presumed single. I didn't. You did, in fact, say single, yes. I just... Yikes. Okay. Anything else? I'm f afraid to ask, actually, uh, knowing you lot. But okay, it's good to see you. Thanks for coming in. Um, so I think I told you the next step is to kind of redo this room and maybe knock that wall out, although we would not violate Mary's secret office over there. That will stay. But thanks for being patient until we you know, get the water stains and the lights right. And However, if you are opening a funeral home and are interested in these lights, they will be up for bid. So... Uh, <laughs> Sometimes you live, this is what it means in the scriptures when you live with the sins of your fathers. So uh, we'll try to, you know, we'll, we're, we're working on it. We're working on it, okay? Okay, so uh, a little bit at least. We're never going to get finished. And besides that, I want to, you know, one of the things I want to do kind of technically next week is talk through how forgiveness works. But I, there's no way we're going to get there. But um, there's a reference later to a three-deck slide. It would be the, the way that you go to people seeking them. So actually, I'll just say this in advance. One of the interesting things about forgiveness in the scriptures is that it's not meant to right your wrongs, right? It's meant to seek the person. So if you read about that, and we'll talk about this more next week, when someone sins against you, in the scriptures, actually, you go to them. Now, there are contingencies where things don't work by force, and we'll talk about that. But in general... If someone sinned against you, you go to them alone, calmly. Uh, then you go with somebody else who's loving and the fix isn't in. And eventually then you have this thing where it says, if they won't come round, um, you treat them like a sinner and a tax collector. But the punchline, and I'll say it this week for next week, is how do you treat sinners and tax collectors? You treat them like lost sheep. And that's the reason that story is connected with the story that we're going to do today. So often we think about forgiveness as settling scores or just evening things out when, in fact, forgiveness floods the landscape with love. And so forgiveness isn't about you, yourself, being uh, satisfied. Uh, forgiveness is about finding someone who's lost and bringing them back into humanity. So kind of hold that in the back. Later, you kind of get the technical, theological, one, two, three. The other thing is that's very dangerous about this is people want things to happen very quickly. And, of course, human beings are very complicated and often take a lot of time. And sometimes we can say, well, I did one and I did two, and now it's three and we'll never see them again. And that all happens in an afternoon, you know, between lunch and dinner. Yeah, no. Sometimes it takes... Think about yourself. Sometimes it takes years for you to change course, and that's true for other people as well. And if you can just kind of keep this distinction that we've been working with, the distinction between love and power, um, then all these other things will come clear. Okay? So I am just going to try to stick with the 
<clears throat> outline a little bit, and we'll see what happens. So, in this world of competing kingdoms, and again, you'll come today, and part of the lessons you'll hear about are the competing kingdoms. This illusion that uh, time is only what we see, and uh, to the horizon, and there is no more. Yeah, in this world of competing kingdoms, Jesus has a different way. You'd think that might be okay because he comes as a peaceful guy, but no, it doesn't work out that way. But this is all to be tested, right? You just just test to see if this is true. In their quest to rule, all other kingdoms exert power, forcing weaker folks to do their bidding. So just kind of listen to politics now. Look at the upset in so many nations. In the last week, two or three leaders in the Middle East have stepped down. Um, You kind of think about why that happened, what precipitated that. In other places, power is being solidified. Power is the way of masters and slaves, of tyrants and subjects, of winners and losers, and increasingly of our irrational post-postmodern tribal world. So just like, this isn't meant to be technical. I just didn't want to alienate somebody who stays up on this. We lived in a modern world where reason worked. Uh, We came to a postmodern world where we recognized uh, there are many kinds of reasons and many ways to see, but people were kind of willing to live and let live. But we've entered what's been called now a post-postmodern world where people recognize differences and recognize reason but just don't care. And raw power seems to be the burgeoning technique. Um, You don't have to believe me. Just read the papers. See, See what you think and see if you think the world is. If you know a little bit of history, there are times when, you know, things are never completely calm, but see if you don't think that um, trouble is brewing and on the horizon there will be problems, right? Why are all those rich people trying to buy citizenship in New Zealand? Hmm, right? So force works on other people from the outside with irresistible compulsion, right? So I'm going to make you do what I want. Here's the real problem. Enemies become expendable. They become less than human. Listen for language where people are, human dignity is taken away from people, where people become less than human, where people become objects. And when they're objects, um, they're easily dismissed and even destroyed. So uh, one of the reasons people can do genocide is that they don't think those people are really human. Always listen for language where people's dignity is depressed. But here's another thing to always remember, that force only ever wins by appearance, not in truth. You can make somebody else do what you want, but you have not in any real way connected your dignity with them or done what is true. So despite the bravado, the victory of force is hollow. Eventually force cannibalizes and collapses in upon itself when there's no one else to abuse or destroy. So if you live in a house where everything is pure, uh, eventually you're going to end up being the one who's not pure enough for the other person. The Villa Park Soldiers and Sailors Club, right? We don't have any more members because nobody can meet our standards. (laughs) Opposite all that is Jesus who works by love. So the difference between power and love, even though love is a power, is an energy, the difference is, is that love is resistible. So opposite that is Jesus who works by love. Love has no enemies. Powerful yet resistible. 
Love comes as a gift from the outside and works as an energy from the inside. So you can try to explain it how you want, but when somebody loves you, and even especially loves you when you don't deserve it, it turns you into a different kind of person. Right? Not in every case, but substantially, often. Play the percentages. Right? Because it can be resisted. I mean, you can love somebody and they can kill you. The guy, uh, you know, I just have the image of the mosque in New Zealand where the guy opened the door and said, welcome, friend. And then the guy shot him, live stream. Right? He loved him and it killed him. That happens too, but love is resistible, but it is an energy that works from the inside. Love values and embraces and frees and moves us toward holiness. And that, of course, is the key so that we want and do what God wants and plans. So two things. Love is divine, and it's also eternal. Part of the thing about All Saints Day is the church is trying to remind you that history has a start but not an end. You have a start but not an end. And you step into a moving stream when you come alive. There's a past, and you're pulled into it, and you live in it forever. So, um, in that path is love that's divine, and the kingdom is eternal. That's one of the things that's hard for us to imagine, even though we do like to believe it, but we romanticize it a bit, um, and usually make it a subject to force and power. Disconcerting and strange, love is quickly recognized as a competitor by the world's way. So, love suffers. Not because love seeks pain, it's very important, it's not some masochistic thing, but because love allows itself to be abused. You fall in love with someone and you don't turn away the first time you're abused by them. You um, suffer it and look for change. The crucifixion of Christ, right? Incarnation, that God becomes man. The cruci crucifixion of Christ. And by all accounts, everybody agreed that Jesus was innocent. That wasn't the issue. The issue was he was a troublemaker. Right? That he had a different God in a different way. But he was an innocent man. The crucifixion of an innocent man, our last best chance at redemption, um, is proof that love is, suffers itself to be abused. But we carry on because only love, divine love, and not derived human love. When I read that again this morning, it sounds like I'm being derisive toward human love. I'm not. I'm just saying that humans aren't the origin of love. If you love somebody else, even if you don't believe in God, if you don't believe in Jesus, if you love somebody else, it's derivative. It's a shadow, right? It's in us, but not complete, not full, not holy. Um, we carry on only because love can cleanse our hearts of malice and move us to embrace all others with dignity and as friends. Love alone works, wins any worthwhile victory. Or the other side would be, love is true. Force is not true, love is true. You can only force somebody until you kill them. And when you kill them, they're free. I've often told you, in the Gulag Archipelago, Solzhenitsyn, they, he talks about being thrown into a, a guy being thrown into a cage in the dirt in Siberia, a pit dug, and they slam the cage. And he looks up and says, tell the boys at the top when you've, when you've taken everything from me, I'm most free. So this is why um, Breaker Morant, shoot straight, right? I know, but you should watch it. Uh, uh, you know, 
the, uh, the notion that people can kill you to end you is actually a false notion. This accounts for martyrs, for example. Right? So it was for the prodigal son, and whose father loved them, the prodigal sons, whose father loved them in spite of themselves. So it is for the Lord's Prayer that begs, right, this beg, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What, what, what the Lord's Prayer wants to do is close the gap between heaven and earth. God is near, he loves you, he forgives everything, and he asks you to come home. And that closes the gap between heaven and earth. Sustain us, give us daily bread for that, Forgive us and teach us to forgive so we live like you in forgiveness and love. Keep us away. Keep us from trouble. Get us out of trouble. And we know that this will end well. Kingdom, power, glory. So that's the way it was for the prodigal sons. That's the way it was for the Lord's Prayer. And even then last week, just for fun, or the week before, Jesus goes fishing with his friends, and he won't let the tax man interrupt him. So this very strange story where he says, do you pay the tax? Of course we pay the tax. But then he, he, you know, it's ironic because he's paying a temple tax, but he's the new temple. So there's this temple in Jerusalem. Should he support that? Not really, because he's the new temple, which means he's the location of God. God is walking around in the flesh of Jesus. Should you pay the tax? Technically, no. But you know what? He'll pay the four drachmas because he doesn't want his fun interrupted. It's a great story. Go catch a fish. Open the fish's mouth. In the mouth, you'll find a four drachma coin. And so the way of Jesus to kind of solve things, it's almost fantastical, that story. But you can see it actually happening. Because why should we let people who work by force ruin our fun, right? We finally got a day off. Let's enjoy it. So with good humor, Jesus pays the tax, not because he owes it. He's the new temple. But because he's the location of God on earth. And he's not, we're going to lose a day of fishing for that. So what's next? Um, what's next is Matthew 18. So three things, a picture, a children's story, and a three-slide deck from Matthew 18. But first, um, <clears throat> I remind you of the icon of Jesus Christ, the Good Shepherd. So Icons are written and read the way texts are written and read. I know there is some dispute about this, but in general, you can get by with saying this. Icons are written and icons are read. You might want to spend some time with this icon on the top of Jesus the Good Shepherd. Even if you don't know much about this, um, you, can, you can read this in the sense of uh, the seriousness and yet the kindness of Jesus and the... Um, complete dependence of that lamb, uh, this lost sheep, uh, the complete dependence, and Jesus who grips um, that lamb with wounded hands just tightly enough to keep it close. And you can see that the lamb is not in distress, right? There's sort of this, this relaxed, this relaxed, almost sleepy posture of, I'm being carried home and everything's going to be okay now. Right? So just kind of just kind of keep that in mind. But you should see that or read that icon over against the icon below, which was the chapter for the icon of the transfiguration. Jesus is hovering, which is very interesting because there's hovering in the text today where Jesus comes from above. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, that's the other Revelation text, so that's, that's the odd year. Um, but in the, in the final, um, at the last day, Jesus hovers above. 
so interesting because he's hovering here and he hovers on the last day. Elijah and Moses, who are technically dead, are actually alive. This is so spectacular that the disciples fall back and roll down the hill. And yet they're attracted to it. They can't look away. Let's build three shacks and stay here forever. And yet when the Lord talks, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased, they actually fear that it might destroy them. And they're overwhelmed by it. And Jesus comes softly to them and says, it's time to get up and go. And then they go back down the mountain. Jesus heals a boy who has a demon. And the demon repeatedly casts this boy into the fire or into the water to try to kill him or injure him. And Jesus casts out the demon. And then the very next thing that he talks about is children and lost sheep. So this gentleness of Jesus as he moves through, this, this father comes and says, my, 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 my son is possessed by a demon. Jesus has just had this fabulous experience of being on the mountaintop. If you want the most powerful experience a person could have, this is my beloved son. He's the heir to everything. You're getting a glimpse of, of the final day. He's the ruler of creation, and yet he humbles himself to come back down the mountain and go to work. And what is the work that he does? He engages people who are demonized and cures them. He comes to people who are lost and he finds them. And he teaches people as they carry on that they're meant to forgive each other, which is just a, an application of love kind of in a very specific way. If you won't forgive someone, you don't love them. You know, mercy, grace is mercy. Mercy that's, grace is a free thing. Grace is, is a gift. Grace is mercy that's touched to misery. Forgiveness is the thing that releases people from their misery. If you won't forgive them, you don't love them. So that all said, I'm turning to number five. You get this very strange question from the disciple. So they've seen this remarkable thing. They've seen Jesus, who is the most powerful from eternity. You know, he's coming out of that, he's coming out of that blue orb, which he's sort of coming out of this endless blue of eternity. And um, he reigns over all things, yet he humbles himself. And then he does um, humbling things. He engages the demons, people who are unclean, and he makes them clean. And then you have this very strange kind of anti-love question. So Matthew 18, 1 to 4. At that time, so they're just coming, you know, kind of what's next. At that time, kind of as the story kind of carries on, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Right? This is proof that there actually are bad questions. <laughs> Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them, and he said, Truly I say to you, unless you become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like a child is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So this is classic Semitic. You say the same thing twice or three times in different ways so that people can kind of, this is Jewish storytelling, you tell it a time, and then you tell it again, and then you tell it again. Each way makes it kind of thicker and richer and more robust, and you can understand. So you want to know who the greatest is? The one with the greatest humility. Where do we see great humility? In children. So we'll have to talk about what that means then to be a child. So knowing us and that we're prideful and given to power and unforgiving, and we diminish other people so we don't really have to pay attention to them, this question about being the greatest is one that Jesus answers regularly. 
So here's his say. Here's a couple of things. If anyone, and it's interesting because the Greek here is so simple, you can kind of work it out yourselves. If anyone would be first, protos, proton, right? If anyone would be first, he must be last, eschatos, the eschaton, the final day, the last thing, right? If anyone would be first, he must be last, and servant, deacon or deaconess, diakonos, right? And servant of all. So to be the greatest is to be the servant of all. Or again, taking a child, um, Pideon is an infant, so you know you think of, is Elsie here? She is here, right? I hear her once in a while. That's so, so like that, actually I say that, I say that with great happiness that she's here. She smiles at me more than any of the rest of you. It's, it's, She's, she's without judgment toward me. Uh, she, every time I see her, she smiles at me. I'm just like, this is, uh, you know. I, did, I don't know if you knew this. I don't know if I've ever told you, but this is a true story. When I came here, I was here two or three years. There was a child in the congregation who every time I spoke, the child filled its diaper. This is a true story. The mother actually came and talked to me about it. I'm like, it was a little like Carol saying, you know, when you lower your voice. I mean, there's a, there's a woman said, Ever, she says, whenever you open your mouth, my, I have to change my child's diaper. I'm like, these things are inexplicable. So um, taking a child, putting him in the middle of the disciples, Jesus said, unless you turn, so it's not the classic um, repentance word, but it's unless you change course, right? So unless you change, Right? And always remember, people don't, it's not that people hate change. That's not true. People hate loss. It's a misnomer to say people hate change. If I gave you each $10 million right now, it would be a huge change for you. Not one of you would be sad. Right? <laughs> huge change. But people, it's not that people don't like change. It's they don't like loss. Loss is the thing that makes people afraid. So unless you turn, and this is like, the, remember, this was the guy who got the best offer ever, come be disciple 13, and he was an honorable man, and Jesus loved him very much. And he said to him, come on, you can be, you know, you can be 13. You can redeem the number. You can, they'll be able to be 13th floors in apartments again. Elevators will have a number 13 button. This will be fabulous. And then he turned away and left. So he was very rich. And Jesus was deeply sad that he chose his stuff over following Jesus, right? Unless you change course and become like children, you'll never enter the kingdom of God. He was least, and you can work that out too, micro, right, and then mega. He who is least among you is the one who will be great. Now, I'm translating that for you as, or I'm interpreting that for you as, the one who's willing to live by love rather than by force, or the one who's rather to be servant rather than to be king, or to actually to examine your life and to see it against the fabric of the universe, against the fabric of the cosmos, as opposed to, um, uh, you know, just um, what, you know, what everybody thinks of you. I was just at my 40th reunion, as you know, with a bunch of very accomplished people. Um, one of uh, a friend said that you get a chance to write things if you want. There was a friend who sort of wrote a few reflections, and then the last line was, "Why did we worry so much?" It's very perceptive, and I, I think the single question I'd like to ask people when I see him was, "Was it worth it?" Because there are people who did wonderful things, but there are also people who did dastardly things, uh, and you, you sort of think to yourself, "Now you know, at some point." Was it worth it? 
right? So that's, that's the, a much more diagnostic question for all of you and for me. Was it worth it? What you've given your life to, was it worth it? By the way, I don't know why this comes to mind, but um, the first article I read this morning is that it's going to be very, for you vegans in the crowd, this is the end of you. You're going to have to curl up in a ball. There's apparently scientific evidence now that, that plants panic when it starts to rain. Now, I have to go home and read the full thing. But apparently, plant-to-plant -plant disease transmission happens greatest at the rain, and plants apparently have a panic response, which means they must have an emotional system, which means you can't eat them either. So uh, it was nice to know all of you, except for the omnivores who I'll see next week. So, uh, you know, see you then. All right, so anyway. The point, is to be, uh, the point is to be like a child. Why be like a child? Well, Jesus tells us, but we can talk about a few things because it's, it's the way of humility. Whoever humbles, and this is um, the technical kind of meaning of this, which is you're not self-reliant. You remember we, re we ran into this exact same word when, uh, when we talked about prayer last year. Do you remember this? Humble yourselves before the Lord. Make your needs known to him. This is exactly this. And it actually, in some sense, made more sense when we're talking about prayer, which is despair of yourself and rely on God. Now, any of us can despair of ourselves when we're in trouble, right? When we're ill or when our lives are troubled or something, any of us can despair of ourselves. The trick seems to be to despair of yourself on your good days. The trick would be to despair of yourself when you have the chance to exert power and make other people do what you want them to do and you don't. You think about their welfare first. I ask you to do no more, and this is than to think about politics in America right now. Every person on all sides ask whether the interest is in exerting themselves in service to others uh, or exerting themselves to coerce others. It's a fairly simple thing to watch. Um, and whether that comes from pride or whether it comes from humility. I know what wins elections, you do too, right? But nevertheless, just, just think it through, because the leader that you elect, um, you shouldn't expect some change when there's time to govern or where things get tough, right? So whoever humbles, that is, whoever um, dismisses self-reliance and becomes fully dependent on God, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom. So what's the greatest? To be the least. What's the greatest? To be dependent. What's the greatest? To love. What's the greatest? To spend your energy in service to other people. What's the greatest? As Jesus himself said, love God and serve your neighbor. The trick, of course, and we've done this a hundred times, so I'm not going to do it too much, but the trick, of course, is to remember how a person becomes humble. You can't hit humility by aiming at it. The progression works like this. You have memory, you remember. So the sermon today about the lack of history, right? You have memory. When you remember how many times you've been bailed out, when you remember how many times other people have favored you, when you remember how the angels have protected you in times you should have been dead, when you remember how you were healed and you can't explain why, when you remember how you were sustained when things went badly, right? When you remember that you're not your own, you were bought with a price, when you remember that you're dependent, the natural response to that is gratitude. And 
Gratitude, then, is the foundation of humility. So you sort of keep this all in front of yourself, that you're dependent on other people and mostly dependent on God, that um, you're dependent on love, and you're meant to be like God, to see like God, to do like God, to walk like God. So you see love, you're given love and you do love. You, you're, you're given love and you see love. You're given dignity and you bestow dignity. You love your neighbor as yourself. Right? You give as you've been given to. So the progression is from memory to dependence to gratitude to humility and then to obedience. Now intuitively you know this. And you can, you can just test this. Um, this is why evil empires don't last forever. Star Wars, come on. Everybody knows this. Um, evil overplays its hand. It always overplays its hand. Evil is destructive. Evil is horrible. The best thing you can say about evil is, is that it always overreaches. The only consolation, you know, the guys on the beach, when they're one by one, you know, taking their heads off. Um, and they say, what do you believe? I believe in Christ. What? You remember the martyrs on the beach, right? right? One by one. Already martyrs and actually in an icon already. One by one. One by one. And then the last guy who's an African, not um, Arabic, and they say, last guy, uh, one by one. And he says, I'm with them. Right? Right? One by one. What? Because they understand that once people have done you in, um, suffering is over and their power is extinguished and you carry on. This is why All Saints Day, I spoke to this a couple years ago in a sermon, the way that you become a saint um, is either the normal, in the, in the West, of course, it's to have miracles attributed to you and to live a holy life. But in the Orthodox, an obvious life, an obvious life of holiness, right? And there's no more obvious life than um, when the knife is to your throat saying, well, you know, this will be a temporary. You know, I'll bleed out in about 18 seconds. So, right? Evil at some place, this is your great confidence now. I say this so you have this as a great confidence, that evil has an end, right? When the last guy pushes the button and the whole thing goes up in smoke, that's the end. And evil extinguishes itself because it overreaches. So um, evil always overplays its hand, and then in a flashbang, it turns to ruin and things are over. The problem is we have trouble believing that in real time. And this is why we capitulate to evil. We sort of can't hold on long enough to say, love will win the day. And it's especially true when things work well for us. When we live in a nation, when things work well, at least for us, with skin that looks like this, right? Right? Where it's easy. It's easy when you're on top. But the difficulty is when you have to go a little bit farther. Now, the cure, as the church has always known, um, well, the failure I have here for you is our collective amnesia. We no longer know history, along with our lack of imagination. So we have this sense, it's recency bias. Because um, evil's not destroying me right now. You just carry on and it's all going to be okay. You see how that doesn't think about anybody but yourself? Or, or your own tribe? This is why tribal, the tribal thing is such a horrible, difficult thing. Because um, at some point, everybody loses. 
So eventually, in a time unexpected though, evil will be up and uh, sorrow will be over. Now, six, last thing I'll do just and then we'll come back to this next week. The antidote, be like children, why? You know, the greatest reason is children believe what you tell them, right? So um, kids know they're dependent. I mean, all you got to do is look at the vicar back there, right? That's like one dependent kid right there, right? <laughs> so there's this kind of response between coo and cry. But in either case, right, that kid knows that uh, she is completely dependent. And kids have an innate sense of, of good and evil and justice and mercy. If you don't believe me, it's as simple as going home and saying, let me have a few things out of your Halloween candy. <laughs> I just, you know, I just is people know what's right and wrong. Uh, you just have to offer them the right possibility, right? And, you know, beyond that, children are malleable and adventurous and re- resilient. And also, this is really important, oblivious to danger. Children don't see, you know, why they shouldn't crawl out on the ledge to get a better view from 12 stories up. They don't understand it. You know, they don't. You're, and in some sense, you're meant to be oblivious to danger. But most important, why should you be like a child? Because children believe what they're told, right? And this is the last thing, that you, you're loved in a way that you would do anything for the one who loves you. This is just the, this is the basic Christian thing. You're, you're loved. You're a beloved child of God. And because of that, you trust the one who loves you. Um, you can't force it on people. You can't make people believe it. You can't um, manufacture it. Right? And you, you, you just, all you can do is love and let, trust that love will have its own course with people. This is why to try to convert people to the point of a sword is this kind of a stupid exercise. Uh, you know, this is, that's, not the, that's, not, that's not Christ. The way of Christ is love and humility. That's the way. And you'd let the chips fall where they may. For Christ himself, it meant crucifixion. Um, we could do better, uh, and, but we're going to get our chance. You know, As I've said to you before, we've had a 1,600-year head start, and we've squandered the lead. Now it's the fourth quarter with two minutes to play. And as I've often told my kids, never let anything go to the last shot. Because at the last shot, anything can happen. Bears fans. So, um, <laughs> hey, history, remember. Okay, so we want to come to this next week. You can reflect kind of in this next week what it means to be like a child. But I actually want to um, parse this out then and talk about what it means for you to actually engage in the business of forgiveness and have the faithfulness to do that. It's not a matter of vindication. You won't be vindicated. You'll probably suffer if you forgive somebody. But it is, it is what's true, and it is um, the way that you can move forward in peace. we got to go. If you haven't been to church already, uh, go in early. The initial piece before the service starts is spectacular uh, again and throughout the service. I think everybody, is the full blast choir all going to be there for the second service? I don't know. Yes, it is. Full blast, same thing. All right. It's fabulous. But go, go early. I love you. Um, let's pray, and I'll see you next week. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. 
and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Okay, love you. See you soon.